Thank you so much, Gray. And uh, if you're new with us, let me welcome you. My name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, whether you're in this room or you're online, welcome to Salem Chapel. And I hope your hearts are already ready to hear from the Lord and what he has for you today. We say this at Salem Chapel, when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. And so I hope you have God's word, whether that's physically in your hands, whether it's on your phone, whatever it may be, we are here to hear from the Lord. Not me, not anybody else, but from the Lord. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look specifically in verses 22 through 33. If you are new with us, we've been in this summer series entitled Sunday School Stories. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to take for granted that everyone knows what I mean by Sunday School. So if you don't know what that means, let me explain it to you. Sunday school was this thing that if you grew up in the church, it was usually, it happened before you would do like what we're doing right now, where everyone would gather together in one central room and and they would uh, worship together and hear from God's word together. And so you would have this thing beforehand, sometimes afterwards, but most of the time, I think most churches did it before and some churches still do that and that's okay if they do, but it's probably not, maybe for most churches, not called this Sunday school. And so it was this time that you were taught Bible stories and, and, and you, you were, the objective was for you to grow in your faith and your understanding of the stories that were in the Bible in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament And so I know myself, I went to Sunday school. I spent many hours in Sunday school. And the reason why we even titled this series Sunday School Stories is because the stories that we are looking at, specifically in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking at different stories in these books of the Bible, uh, the Gospels are very familiar to many of us. And probably for the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today is probably one of those stories that is very familiar to most of us, maybe all of us in this room. And the story is Peter walking on water. How many of you have heard that story before? Raise your hand. Okay, I think almost everybody in the room, if not everybody in the room, maybe I missed your hand. So, so you are proving my point. We all have heard this story before, or most of us have. And if you haven't, then man, you are a breath of fresh air to me right now. But I want all of us, regardless of who we are, whether we've heard it a million times or whether this is the very first time that we've heard it, for us to approach this passage of Scripture the same way, with fresh eyes. You know, when I think about this story in particular, I think about uh, when I was, that last October, it's hard to believe it was almost a year ago, I had the privilege of being able to go to Israel with some other pastors from the state of North Carolina, and uh, we got to go out onto the Sea of Galilee. It's an amazing thing. In fact, I, I took a picture of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it behind me. There's the picture, the literal Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake, but it's so big that they call it a sea. And so it's literally set up like a, like a, like a cereal bowl. So you have a mountain range in, in, around the entire sea or massive lake. And what oftentimes happens is the storms can come on very quickly. Wind can come on very quickly. In fact, we were, I mean, that's, that's literally the day that we were on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it was sunny. The weather was perfect. It was like 70-some degrees. But the wind was actually significant. And so when you're on the Sea of Galilee and you know a story like this, and I was actually thinking when I was on that boat that we were on in the Sea of Galilee, I was thinking, man, this is, this is right where Peter walked on water. Like, it was very surreal. And, and many other things that Jesus did 
But thinking, man, this is where Peter walked on water. And I'm like, well, I don't know when I'm going to get back to Israel again. I mean, this may be on my only time. Most, some people don't ever get, never even get to go. And so I thought to myself, well, if Peter did it, let me at least see if I can do it. And so there's a picture of me trying to get out of the boat and walk on water. And so my wife wasn't with me. She's my moral compass. I'm not naturally a rule follower. And, and so that little escapade there got me in trouble with the guy driving the boat. But I thought, hey, man, I'm only here once. And, and so obviously I knew I wasn't going to physically walk on water, but I at least wanted to create a picture that I knew I would show someday to a crowd much like yourselves. <laughs> and so I want us to approach this passage of scripture with fresh eyes. And even though, wouldn't it be awesome if we all could just say, hey, we're all gonna take a trip, we're gonna go over to Israel, we're all gonna like teach this on the Sea of Galilee. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be. And even though we can't do that, I want us to nevertheless look at this like we should every passage of God's word and say, Lord, what do you wanna say to me through this very familiar passage of scripture? Now, I wanna encourage you with something because some of you take notes every single time you're here and that's awesome and some of you don't and that's okay as well. But can I encourage you with something? I want you to take notes today. I want you to take notes today because I truly believe this and not that I don't believe it every time I'm up here, but I believe in the season that we're in and the time that we're in right now in our country, in our state, in this city of Winston-Salem, that God wants to speak to you in a profound way. And I don't want you to lose the opportunity to be engaged from missing what the Lord wants to say to you today. See, here's the title of the message this morning as you're taking notes. It's this, the differences of faith and fear in the midst of a storm. I don't think I'm speaking in hyperbole to say that we've been in a storm, right? Whether that's COVID, whether that's politically that has you feeling like you're in a storm, whether that's the racial tensions, whether that's uh, crime, whatever it is, whatever we see on our, in our news broadcast every single day, we have been infected in some way to where I believe that we are not overreaching to say we have experienced a storm. We are experiencing a storm. So you just got done teaching a week at school. Your teachers, you're in the midst of a storm. I've already talked with a bunch of teachers from the 9 a.m. service. So you, the things that I mentioned, may, you may be like, you know what? I don't really feel like any of those things are the things that I feel like I'm, I'm experiencing or it's touching me, but maybe you have a storm that's something that I didn't describe. And here's the idea that I want you to get out of the God's word today in these verses, 22 through 33 of Matthew 14. It's this, this idea, this reality that fear starves my faith in Jesus, but worship feeds my faith in Jesus. That's a reality that you can take to the bank. And it's not a reality because I'm telling you it is and these are my words. No, 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 we're gonna see this flesh itself out in this passage of scripture, Matthew 14, 22 through 33, in this so familiar story in the gospels that many of you learned when you were in Sunday school. Fear starves my faith in Jesus. Worship feeds 
my faith in Jesus. And we're going to start out this morning, I want to ask you a question, and it's a very simple question, but it's a question that I, I want you to think about. I want you to answer it. You can answer it transparently because the only person that's going to know it is you. What are you afraid of right now? Ask yourself that. What are you afraid of right now? You got it? You're in this room, you have it? You're watching this online. Do you have the answer to that? Here's why I ask that. Because this week, just to be transparent, you know, the month of July, every year the elders give me, give, give my wife and I and our family time away, and so I take a break from preaching. This year obviously was unique, and so we didn't really go anywhere because nothing was open, and so, but I still took a break from preaching for, for four weeks, and just to hear from the Lord, and what does God want us to, to, to walk through in this coming year, and, and just asking and answering a lot of those questions, and hearing from the Lord. And so I came out of that time of, of not preaching for four weeks and sitting under the word and hearing from, from uh, the other pastors that presented the word here and listening to a lot of other pastors that, that I like to listen to. And I come, came out of that time of not preaching and having time away and I came out with a new energy. I mean, the staff can tell you, I came in and I was like, okay, here's how we need to approach this time that we're in. I know, I know it's unique. I know it can be frustrating, but here's how we need to approach it. We don't need to allow this to define us. Like, like we need to go after this. And, and so I was really energized coming out of that time. And then about a week and a half ago, I was in a lower place than I was before I took time away. I was frustrated. I was angry. Uh, I was discouraged, and, it, and I didn't know why. It had me perplexed. And I, many conversations with my wife, Lori, and others, and I'm like, I don't know why I feel like, the elders as well, I asked the elders to pray for me. I'm like, why am I feeling worse after a break than I did before I took the break? And I didn't have the answers to those questions until Monday. And normally when I'm preaching a passage of scripture, I think, I believe I can say this with all sincerity and God knowing my heart, I don't ever get up on this platform and give you something that the Lord hasn't convicted me of first, by God's grace. But it's not every, it's most of the time I am not walking through the passage of scripture that I'm studying to teach to you all as my personal time with the Lord. I've been walking through the book of Judges just so you just so you're aware throughout this summer. But, to, but Monday was different. Monday, I felt like, you know what? I know what I'm preaching. I had this calendared out. I knew I was teaching on this passage of scripture, this very familiar passage of scripture. And I just spent time on this passage of scripture as my time with the Lord. Knowing where I was, knowing I was frustrated, knowing I was angry, just with everything, everything that we're experiencing. And I'm telling you, when I got done reading this passage of scripture and just sitting there, I was reading my Bible on our back porch in the morning and feeling like I, I can honestly testify this was the Holy Spirit, Not, nothing audibly, but in my, in my soul feeling this sense. You ever experienced that when you're just like, man, I know that was from the Lord. 
Feeling this sense of me just being, man, Lord, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this way? And just sensing that the Holy Spirit was like, because you're afraid? See, here's something you need to know about me. I don't like people to know I'm afraid. Anybody else in the room like that? Yeah, thank you for your honesty. One person, thank you. I don't like people to know I'm afraid. Most people don't know I'm afraid when I'm afraid. Except for my wife, she knows me so well. But I just sat there and I got so emotional because you know what the reality was? I was like, you know what, I'm afraid. If someone's asked me, are you afraid of getting COVID? I would honestly say, and this isn't, this isn't to make you think something of me or you to judge me. Like I was like, okay, if I get it, I get it. I'm not afraid of getting it. But it was interesting in that time when I thought about what the Holy Spirit said to me, you're afraid. I thought, you know what? I'm not afraid of getting COVID, but I'm afraid of the effects of COVID. Here's some of the things that I wrote down in my quiet time. Just so you know, most pastors wouldn't do what I'm about to do. So I'm gonna tell you what I wrote, which always makes the elders nervous, but they, most of them already were in the 9 a.m. service, so they know that this is nothing to be afraid of. Here's the first thing I wrote down. This is literally my list, unfiltered. I wrote down, I'm afraid of what this time is going to cost my kids. That's what I wrote down. I was afraid of that. Like what this is going to cost them in their learning, having to learn online and not in person, what this is going to cost them socially. I wrote that down. Here's another thing I wrote down. I'm afraid of the financial consequences. I was like, what's this going to cost our family financially? Many of us are probably all asking the same thing. I wrote this third thing down. I'm afraid of how I'm going to fail to meet people's expectations of me. Like everybody struggles being a people pleaser and, I, and I, I'm not immune to that. I wouldn't say that's something that drives me, but nevertheless, I know there's expectations of you for me. How's Johnny gonna lead us? How's Johnny gonna do what I want him to do? How is, if you're watching this, what is he gonna say this week? I mean, those are just overwhelming me. I was afraid. Something else I wrote, I was afraid of how this could potentially divide our church. Politically, socially, how someone views the coronavirus, how someone doesn't. I was this is something I was battling with. Here's another one. I was afraid of how this was going to burn out our staff. We have a small staff. Like all the logistics that go into what has even gone into you even sitting in that seat right now. How we're going to do small groups with some people virtually and other people in person and all the different things going on. You have no idea. But that was a fear I had in that moment. Here's something else that the, literally the Lord touched on me that I was afraid of as I sat there on Monday morning on my back porch. I was afraid of how this was gonna affect the church numerically, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. I was like, Lord, we were, we were running on all cylinders beginning of March. We just renovated an entire downstairs for all of our kids' ministry that we didn't even get to have for more than a week. And I was afraid. And I had to come to grips with that. And so I share that with you and I take significant time to share that with you because I want you to understand that just because I'm standing up here and you're not, 
that I don't have to battle fear right along with you. So what did you say to that question? What are you afraid of right now? And my prayer for you this morning is that you would do what God did with me and you would take that fear to God's word so that he can speak to it. So would you pray with me right now? And I want you to take whatever that thing was that you said you were afraid of and I want you to pray this. Lord, would you speak to my fear? God, we're here today and as I've stated already, God, when your word is open, your mouth is open. And Lord, we don't need to pray for you to speak. God, we need to pray that we would listen. That we would be obedient to what you do say. That whatever that thing is that we identified as a fear right now, that we would say, Lord, I'm gonna have ears to hear and eyes to see what you want me to see, what you want me to hear from your word so that I can walk out of here in an attitude of worship that feeds my faith rather than continuing to allow that fear to starve my faith. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Here's what I wanna do this morning in the time that we have, and I promise you we're gonna read this passage of scripture, is I wanna give you three things that fear and faith say in the midst of a storm. Because fear is telling you things and your faith is telling you things. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The, God's word. Fear is saying things to you and maybe you're listening. And your faith is saying things to you and maybe you're listening. But I want to give you three things that fear and faith say in the midst of the storm. So, for this reason, so that we're able to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying versus what the lies of the enemy of Satan are saying. Because those are the two things that are at play. What the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and what the devil wants to say to you. So look at verse 22 in this passage of scripture. Verse 22 says this, immediately, and we're gonna touch on the significance of that here in a moment. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Let me stop here. Here's the context of where we find ourselves in because we're jumping in the middle of a chapter. Here's what happens. Derek Delane, if you were with us last week, lead pastor planning a church out in Nashville, Tennessee called Proclamation Church. Last week he spoke on a very familiar story as well, the feeding of the 5,000. And what literally has taken place before Jesus tells the disciples to get in the boat to head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee is he has just finished feeding the 5,000. So literally what we're looking at this week is literally takes place right after what we looked at last week. Now look at verse 23. And it says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Here's what I want you to underline in your Bible, and I hope you have a pen this morning, and if you don't, I'm sorry. But you'd be good to watch this again. It says this, immediately he made. I want you to underline those two, two words, he made. That's significant. 
Because here's what it doesn't say in this passage of scripture. Can I be Captain Obvious this morning? Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the disciple says, hey, Jesus, man, that was awesome what you did on the feeding of the 5,000. Like, we got 12 baskets left over. You, you totally blew it, blew it out of the water. I mean, you, you, just, you just, the bar was here and you exceeded it. Man, that was amazing. Hey, Jesus, we're going to get in the boat and now head over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But this wasn't the disciple's idea. It wasn't the disciples' idea to jump in the boat and head to the other side. What does it say? It says that Jesus made them get into the boat. So I take that as meaning the disciples, maybe they wouldn't even have chosen to get into the boat. Maybe they would have said, hey, we got 12 baskets of fish and loaves. Like, we could sit here and just hang out for a while. But Jesus says, no, 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 here's what I want you to do immediately. I want you to get into that boat and head to the other side. Jesus made them get into that boat. I think that's significant. Here's what that reminds me of, this idea, this understanding, this reality. Following Jesus does not mean you will be spared adversity. Did I need to remind anyone of that today? Jesus knew what was going to happen when the disciples got on that boat and headed to the other side. But he still made them. And when we follow after Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're going to be spared adversity. So often in our American culture, we get this idea that that following Jesus just means, man, I'm gonna get a better paycheck, I'm gonna get a better house, I'm gonna be happier, I'm 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 gonna get everything that I wanted. And we approach Jesus like this glorified genie in the bottle. And man, we are selling people short. Because the first time that you experience adversity, if that's the gospel that I tell you, then all of a sudden you're like, well, Johnny just told me a lie. This isn't true. And I wonder why so many people aren't just leaving the church. It's oftentimes the people that stand up in front of their church's fault because they've sold them a lie to gain more people, to gain more popularity. I don't know whatever the motive is, but following Jesus means you are going to experience adversity. It's gonna happen. But what I think is interesting is that the reason why Jesus made them get in the boat, because some of you could be saying, well, man, man, Jesus knew what was gonna happen. Was he cruel? Was he just, was he, was he just love to see his disciples suffer? Like some of you are like, well, well, I'm in the midst of a storm and I'm fearful. Is Jesus just up there laughing at me? Is he saying, ha ha, you're getting, you know, I'm glad you're getting what you deserve. Like what is Jesus' motivation for me to be in the midst of this storm right now? Because the disciples probably were asking this as we look further in this passage of scripture where all of a sudden a storm comes upon them and they're asking themselves, wait a minute, Jesus made us get into this boat. Well, here's what I want you to understand. There's two kinds of storms that I believe that we experience. The first one is a storm of correction. And there's times in our lives, there's times that have been in my life where I've deviated and I've known what God's word says about how I should live my life. And I'm like, you know what? I know that's what it says, but I don't want to do that right now. I want to go my own way. I want to be rebellious. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what the Lord wants me to do. And there's times in my life, and I'm sure we all could testify to this, that storms come into our life and they come to correct us. They come to discipline us. Just like any loving father or loving mother would do with their kids. 
Listen, I discipline my kids. You know why I discipline my kids? Not to be cruel, not to be a killjoy, but because I want what's best for them. That's what a loving parent does. And sometimes in our lives, storms come in to correct us, to allow us not to wander any further away from the Lord. And those storms come in. But this isn't, this isn't a storm of correction. The disciples did nothing wrong. See, there's also, a storm, there's also storms of perfection, which means that God allows storms to come into our life, not necessarily to correct us when we sin, but to help us grow in our faith. And I don't say storms of perfection mean that there's gonna come a point in my life where, where all of a sudden I'm gonna be like, guess what, guys, I got a newsflash where I'll stand up in front of the people of Salem Chapel and say, guess what, guys, I wanna tell you something awesome. I no longer sin. If I ever get up and say that, it's time for the elders to literally carry me out. But that doesn't mean that the Lord isn't allowing things to come into my life to grow my faith so that who I am now is different than who I was. There's storms of perfection. They're designed to help us grow. And that is the storm that the disciples are about to enter into. That is the storm that Jesus knew was coming, which is why he made the disciples get into the boat. Listen, let us allow ourselves never to think that adversity doesn't produce endurance in our life and allow us to experience triumph. Adversity does that, not ease. Ease often, doesn't it cause us to let down our guard a lot of times? Like, hey man, everything's going well. Like, yeah, I don't really need to spend time as much in God's word. Yeah, I don't really need to, you know, go to church as much. Yeah, I really don't need to be obedient in there or that. I really don't need to cultivate my personal relationship with the Lord and spend time with him because everything's kind of going cool. Like, Lord, I've kind of got this on my own. I wish ease grew our endurance and our faith, but it doesn't, not in the way adversity does. I mean, write this passage of scripture down. It's very familiar, but I wanna direct your attention to it again. James 1, 2 through 4, where James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever. Like if you're turned there, like you ought to circle the word whenever. What did I say? Following Jesus means you will not be spared adversity because it says whenever. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, why, ought I, why should I count it pure joy? Well, James answers, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces endurance. Verse four, and let perseverance, you ought to underline this if you're there, finish. It says, let perseverance finish. You know what that means? I have a choice in how I am going to respond to adversity. I have a choice in it. Am I going to allow it to finish or my prayer only going to be, God, get me out of this. Lord knows how many times I've prayed that in the last six months. Rather than, Lord, would you give me the strength to learn what I need to learn, to grow where I need to grow so that when I come out of this, I'm stronger. I have more endurance. See, here's the purpose in verse four. It says, so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. Here's what I think is interesting. Those three results, we all want them, don't we? We all wanna be mature, we all wanna be complete, and we all wanna say, man, I don't lack anything to live this Christian life. Like, like I've learned it, I've grown in it, I got it. We all want those three things, but the only way to get them 
is to say, Lord, I'm going to submit when you make me get in the boat. See, here's the first thing that fear and faith say in the midst of a storm. You're like, when is Johnny going to give it? Maybe you forgot. I didn't. Here it is. Fear says this is a crisis. That's what fear says. You may have even said those words. This, whatever this is for you, is a crisis. Here's what faith says. Jesus has a purpose. Those are very different things, are they not? See, we have to be so careful on what we listen to. See, when I allow myself to listen to fear, here's what that does. It causes me to define Jesus' character, who he is, and his competency, what he can do, according to circumstances. But when I am allowing my faith that Jesus has a purpose, circumstances don't define Jesus' character and Jesus' competency. In fact, what Jesus does is he uses those circumstances to grow me in a greater way of understanding who he is and what he can do. But I know what some of you are asking because I asked it. I asked it on my, on my back porch. Because the things that I'm giving you this morning, I want you to understand, these are things that literally God gave me in my quiet time. And when I thought about, wait, faith says Jesus has a purpose, here's what I asked myself. And I knew the theological answer, but I needed to, I needed to ask it. Here's what I asked. What is Jesus doing for me in my crisis? You asking yourself that? What is Jesus doing for you in your crisis? You're like, okay, it's great to know that Jesus has a purpose. But in reality, that doesn't help me when I go to work tomorrow. Or that doesn't help me when I'm reminded that I don't have a job tomorrow. Johnny, what is Jesus doing in my crisis if you say that my crisis has a purpose? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because can we see in God's word the answer? Look at what it says Jesus does for his disciples in verse 23. Because notice that Jesus doesn't get in the boat with his disciples. What does Jesus do? It says this. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. You're like, man, what is Jesus doing in my crisis, Johnny? Because right now, if I'm honest, I don't have the answer. Well, can I encourage you that this passage has the answer? Here's what Jesus is doing for you, and it's the same thing that he was doing for his disciples. He is praying for you. He's praying for you right now. It's not lost on him what you're going through right now. Your feelings, your burdens, your fears, it's not lost on him. He knows every single one of them intimately. In fact, Hebrews chapter uh, number four talks about how Jesus can sympathize, identify with every one of our weaknesses and struggles. It's why he spent th three years to live this life, three adult years to live this life so that he can identify what it looks like to be failed by someone, what, how he, that he can identify with you if you're being betrayed right now, that he can identify when people are literally expecting something of him that he doesn't deliver on, that that isn't his purpose. He knows every one of the things, every one of the fears that you mentioned right now, and we could have hundreds of different ones. He can identify with every one of the fears that I identified 
that Monday on that porch. And he's praying for you. Romans 8, 34 said that we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who intercedes for us with prayers that we don't even know how to pray. Some of you could be brand new in your faith and you're like, man, I'm just learning what it even looks like to pray. And sometimes I don't even know what to pray. All I need to know is just to talk. Like, do I start out by saying, dear Lord? Like, like how do I start this? How do I end this? And what's awesome is, is even when you don't want to pray, when you don't even want to, when you don't know how to, when you don't know how to describe what you're feeling, Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf in heaven for you. Think about it this way. I wonder if you knew when you got up tomorrow morning, if Jesus was in the next room on his knees praying for you, how much more confidence you would have to walk out of that door. Man, I got, I got Jesus praying in the next room for me. Well, can I encourage you with something? He's not literally in the next room. And you know that. He's in heaven. And he's interceding for you on your behalf before a holy God. And the fact that he's in heaven interceding for you is a testament that Jesus has already won the victory in whatever storm you are experiencing because he wouldn't be in heaven sitting on the right hand of God if he wasn't victorious. So the fact that he's in heaven interceding for you ought to give us the faith, not the fear, to trust that Jesus has a purpose in the midst of the storm. But if you're still struggling with that, I want to remind you, wait a minute, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in the good that you've done, but in the perfection that Jesus Christ accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you who is doing what you may not even have the strength to do right now. He is praying for you. So if you're like, man, what's Jesus doing in my crisis? I don't know of a better thing that Jesus could be doing for me right now than praying for me. Praying for me to have strength. Praying for me to listen to my faith over my fear. Praying for me not to define him by whatever circumstance I'm experiencing right now, but saying, Lord, would you use this circumstance to grow me in a greater way of understanding who you are and what you can do? See, fear says this is a crisis. Faith says Jesus has a purpose. Look at verse 24. It says, but, but the boat by this time, so as Jesus is praying, and he must have been praying for a while because I've been on that sea and it's not small by any means. But, by the, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves. Look at how it describes the boat. It's beaten. And if the boat's beaten, that means the disciples are beaten. The boat's beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Here's what I think this, this verse 24 tells us about crisis. Crisis causes us to feel like there's no way out. You feel like that? There's no way out. Like, how long are we gonna do this? There's no way out. Disciples were a long way from the land. They were a long way from anywhere that seemed safe. They were in the deep end. Their feet couldn't touch and their hands couldn't touch the sides. They were in the deep end. 
Here's what elk crisis does. It causes us to feel beaten and that everything is against us. Man, we can't make any progress. The, 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 the waves are beating against me. The wind's against me. I can't feel like I can take any progress. I take one step forward and there's two steps back. Like, God, what are you doing here? Here's the second thing that fear and faith say. Fear says this crisis is hopeless. Faith says Jesus meets me in my crisis. Remember, these are things that the Lord was giving me in my quiet time. So as I give you these things, these are the things that God was literally saying to the fears that I gave you. Because I was like, man, this just seems hopeless. Like if you would have told me in March when we had to shut everything down that we would still be experiencing this six plus months later, I would have told you you were crazy and I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like I remember thinking, and it seems like years ago, man, if we can just gather together for Easter. (laughs) That seems like a year ago. And I've battled, man, man, this, for me, this time we're in, man, it seems hopeless. Like, not is it just coronavirus, but everything seems to be unwinding. Yeah, because that's what fear says. But faith says, Jesus meets me on a crisis. Here's why I say that. Look at verse 25. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch of the night. I know what you're thinking. What is that? That's between 3 and 6 a.m., That 3 a.m., man, that's a deep part of the night. 6 a.m., light's coming, but, but 3 a.m., that's, 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 that's a deep time of the night. And I don't know about you, but when I think of times where I've struggled with anxiety or I've struggled being afraid, you know when it oftentimes happens for me? Between 2 and 4 a.m. in the morning. I get woken up, and normally, man, I am a deep sleeper. Lori can tell you, like, it takes heaven and earth to wake me up. And I've actually researched that. Why am I waking up at 2 or 4 a.m.? And I've read some things that, eh, maybe it can be true. And I read other things. I'm like, I hope that's not true. But here's what I know for myself, and here's what I know of many, because I've found that it's a common thing in, those, in that time period. Fear does its greatest work in the fourth watch of the night. That's when fear's the biggest. That's when fear's the largest. That's when fear's the scariest. But Jesus is walking on the sea, verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, look at their response. They were terrified and said, it is Jesus. Is that what your Bible says? Hopefully not. If it does, go get another one. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, they say, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. You know what that tells me? It reminds me of this reality. Faith And fear cannot live in the same heart. They can't cohabitate. They can't. Either I am living out of faith or I'm living out of fear, but I can't do both of those at the same time. And trust me, I have tried. I've tried. Because fear always blinds me. Fear always blinds you to the presence of the Lord in your storm. Listen, this wasn't introductions to Jesus here in Matthew 14. 
Like much ministry has taken place between the disciples and Jesus. They would have recognized Jesus. They would have known Jesus. I mean, come on, man. Jesus just fed over 5,000 people. You don't see that every day. But because they were filled with fear, the Bible says terrified, more than just afraid, they couldn't see Jesus and recognize him because they were gripped by their fear. Faith was not present here. But here's what I love. Look at verse 27. But immediately, you need to underline that word. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Here's what I love. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their fear. Jesus is not offended today if you're fearful. Can you, can you understand that? Can you allow God's word to show you that? Jesus is not offended this morning if you're afraid. He wants to speak to that fear. And Jesus doesn't let him sit in his fear for a long time. No, no, no. It says immediately he spoke to them when he saw that they were afraid. And what does he say? He says, take heart or take courage. Why? Why does he say that? Because Jesus is there. And Jesus will always, keyword always, meet you in your crisis. I want you to say this phrase with me. Jesus will always meet me in my crisis. Say that with me. Jesus will always meet me in my crisis. It's a reality. This passage of scripture testifies to it. Isaiah 43, two and three, if you need some more assurance, says this. This is God speaking to you, to me, to Israel. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. But as I was looking through this passage of Scripture and thinking, just in light of my fears, here's one of the questions I ask. Why didn't Jesus come in the first watch of the night? I personally think that would be way better than the fourth watch of the night. Like I would have been even able to say, okay, okay, Jesus, maybe not the first night, but can we bargain not the fourth, maybe the second or even the third, but not the fourth. Like we could look at this passage of scripture and I'm sure the disciples maybe even thought this because they didn't even realize that that was Jesus at that point being like, wait a minute, we're here in the midst of this storm. The waves are beating against us. The wind is beating in is against us. Jesus made us get in this boat. Where's Jesus? Why hasn't he come? Why has he waited until now? Here's why I believe. It's because Jesus wanted to wait until the ship was as far from land as possible. As far from any hope that the disciples had in themselves to save themselves. Jesus wanted to wait till they were at a point to where they had no hope in themselves and the only person that they could look to the one who truly had and was the hope that they needed. Can I remind us of something this morning? Jesus is never late. He's always on time. He's not always on my time. 
But if he's not on my time, then I have the wrong time because Jesus is always on time. He's always on time. He was testing the disciples' faith. He was removing everything up to that point the disciples were using to rest in their own ability. Man, we've been on this sea many times before. Here's what we need to know. We need to turn the sail this way. Here's what we need to do. We need to row harder in this direction. Like they were very competent fishermen. They'd been on this sea their entire lives, but Jesus was bringing them to a place where they were beyond themselves so they could understand in a greater way who Jesus was and what he could do. Here's another question. You're like, man, Johnny, you ask a lot of questions. Yeah, I do. Why did Jesus walk on water? You think about that when you look at this story? You're like, man, I never even thought about that. Yeah, I know, it's very familiar, right? You don't normally think about things that are super familiar. Why did he walk on water? You think about that? Like Jesus could have done a lot of other things. He didn't have to put them in a boat and allow them to go across the sea to experience this. He could have done a bunch of other different things and he had done other things up to this point. But as I thought about this in my own life, here's why I think Jesus walked on water. And this is my best guess. And we can all find out if I was right when we're in heaven. But I believe Jesus walked on water because he wanted to use the very thing that they were afraid of to show them that that thing that they were afraid of was actually the staircase that Jesus used to be closer to them. See, I wonder for you, whatever you said you were afraid of, whatever it was, if the Lord doesn't want to use that as the means for you to experience him in a closer way. And notice that Jesus is walking on top of the very thing that made those disciples afraid. Like even that act of Jesus shows his power over the things that we are afraid of. And I wonder right now in our life and what we're experiencing and what we're afraid of, if it's not an opportunity for the Lord to show, show himself figuratively walking on top of that thing that we can't handle to show himself to us. Wait a minute, I have this. I've got this. I'm using this as a time to perfect you, to make you more mature, to make you more complete, to make you understand that you lack nothing when you have me. Here's the third thing that fear says, and it comes out of verses 28 through 33. Look at verse 28. It says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, it says, and he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now we gotta move quick, but can we be careful to criticize Peter? Like Peter gets a bad rap all the time, does he not? Like he's like the whipping boy of the disciples. And most of the time it's preacher's faults for making him look like that. Because here's what I wanna do, man. I wanna give a big clap to Peter even though he's not the hero of the story Jesus is and say, Peter, man, you had ridiculous faith. Because I know if I was in that boat at that time, even though I don't like to admit I'm afraid, I doubt I'm the first one jumping up and said, hey, Jesus, I wanna do what you're doing. Like he had amazing faith, did he not? I mean, anybody could have asked, the other 11 disciples could have asked, hey, hey Jesus, we wanna walk on water too. And I'm sure Jesus would have said, come on guys, let's have a party. But they didn't. See, anybody can sit in the boat and watch, but it takes a purpose, person of real faith to leave the boat and walk on water. And I don't want us 
to be too hard on Peter. See, Peter could have said, man, Jesus, I can't get out, on, get out of this boat because I got a wife I got to care for who's at home and I got a family to provide for and I got a mother-in-law who's sick and I got a lot of responsibilities and those are good and those are honorable responsibilities. So Jesus, I can't take a risk and get out of the boat and walk on water because I have all of these reasons why I need to be safe. And I need to guard that and I need to guard my security, Jesus. I got great reasons. But Peter didn't allow those things to keep him from taking a risk and stepping out on faith. Listen to me. Faith in Jesus means you're going to have to embrace risk. Faith is always going to involve risk. Here's why I say that, and stick with me. It's because here's what I'm afraid of as a pastor during this time that we've been on. For six months, the fear valve has run on high and on hot to where we have elevated our safety and security to a place that I don't see in the scriptures. And this isn't time for me to speak on COVID because I'm not an expert and I'm not going down that road. But here's what I'm concerned of, even in light of that as a pastor. When we even think of in light of that, have we asked ourselves yet, when is the place where I'm willing to take risk again? Is it when there's a vaccine? Because when there's a vaccine, it's gonna be like, well, it, it came out too quick, so I can't take it. Oh, there's political motivations about when it came out. Well, when everybody takes it, well, even if everybody takes it, what's it gonna do to me when I take it? Or what if I'm one of the rare birds that it doesn't work on me when I take it? Do you see where I'm going with this? There will always be something out there that will test me whether or not I'm gonna live into the mission that God has given me or hit pause on my life to say, I'm not gonna do anything else for the Lord but sit here and wait until risk is eliminated. And it's not gonna happen. And I'm not saying that so you can say, well, now I know what he thinks about COVID. It's not where I'm going with this. I am just asking ourselves to allow ourselves to be open to what the Lord wants to say to you. Because this didn't take him by surprise. Faith always involves risk. But what I love is what Jesus says to Peter's request. He says to Peter, come. Jesus is never gonna turn you away when you wanna step out in faith. Isn't that awesome? He's always gonna say, come, come. Look at verse 30. Peter's awesome up to this point, right? But look at verse 30, there's that word but. And I know there's so many times in my life where I've stepped out in faith, but all of a sudden I hit a point of weakness and there's almost always a but in my life. Look at what it says. But when he saw the wind, circle that phrase, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Here's the third and last thing that fear and faith say. Fear says, this crisis has robbed me of my safety and security. Faith says, Jesus is my safety and security. See, here's why Peter was afraid, because up in this moment, in verse, what verse is it? Verse 30, all of a sudden he was hit with a large dose of reality. 
And the large dose of reality for him was is that he couldn't walk on water on his own. Some of us think we can walk on water, figuratively. Some of us think that our safety and our security resides inside of us. Some of us think that we are the all-sovereign one, that we are, we are God, that we got this, that we're in control and all of that. And some of us in the midst of this storm, whatever it is, have been hit with a cold, wet, big wave of reality that has reminded us, you ain't in control. It wasn't that I was in control before COVID, but all of a sudden we're hit with the reality, whatever we're fearful of this morning, that we are not in control. And when we are living as if we are, when we are living as if our safety and security depends on us, when we are living that way, it will always lead us to a place of fear. What I like to call a crisis of belief. And here's what a crisis of belief is. When I, what I know to be true and what I'm experiencing to be true are totally opposite. See, some of us are like, I know God's in control. I know Jesus is my savior. I know all of these things, but what I'm experiencing doesn't match up. And we are in a crisis of belief just like Peter was. But here's what's awesome. Look at verse 31. Look at Jesus' response to Peter's crisis of belief. Here's Jesus' response to your crisis of belief right now if you're having one in the midst of your storm. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know what you do in your crisis of belief right now? You reach up and you take Jesus' hand. You're sinking right now because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and you've placed it on yourself or some other person to be your savior. What do you do right now? You reach out your hand and you take Jesus' hand. And here's what I love. Jesus extends his hand. Nowhere do we see that Peter extends his hand. Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, I'm here. You've taken your eyes off of me, but I'm here. But when we reach out our hand to Jesus, we also need to be prepared to answer the question that Jesus asked Peter, why did you doubt? I'd ask myself on that, front por on that back porch, that question of the Lord, why are you doubting me, Johnny? These aren't fears that need to dominate you take my hand take my hand allow me to show you that I can walk on water allow me to show you that I am in control and look at what it says in verse 32 and when they got into the boat the wind ceased listen storms help you grow Storms help me to understand that Jesus is gonna see me through whatever he starts, he completes. And the response of the disciples, isn't it awesome? In verse 33, it says, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. You may not realize this, but this isn't the first time Jesus calmed a storm. He did it in Matthew 8. He had already done this for the disciples, but they forgot. But what the disciples do is they're all in this boat and I love that Jesus gets in the boat with them because he knows that's what they need in this moment. And the disciples' response to their fear is to worship. So I want you to stand with me this morning. And I know we've gone longer and that's okay. I wanna eat too. 
But I want us to worship. I want you to take what, what, whatever it was that you had taken to, the, taken to the Lord when we prayed at the beginning of this message, whatever you answered and what are you afraid of right now, and you said, man, I'm afraid of this in your mind, I want you to think of that thing right now, but I don't want you to no longer allow fear to tell you things. I want your worship right now to feed your faith. I want your worship right now to starve out your fear. Because we got one choice or the other. My fear can starve my faith or my worship can feed my faith. And let's allow our worship right now to feed our faith and remind ourselves that we serve a Jesus who has the ability and the power and the character to calm every single storm that we are in right now now. And the storms are serving a purpose so that we will grow in a greater way of having the faith in who Jesus is and what he can do. Because I promise you that when this storm, whatever it is, is passed and you respond the right way, you're going to be able to rejoice and worship that, Lord, I needed to learn that. And then when the next storm comes, hopefully there's some time in between, but the next storm comes, you'll see it for what it is. Man, this is another time for me to grow in who my Jesus is. God, we're here today. We take our fears to you. We worship you. We feed our faith. We starve our fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing to him.